Oh Lord, help us to understand something of the way it's pleased you to spread the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to bring people for the new heaven and the new earth. We ask that it might please you to give us a measure of encouragement and enlightenment and even excitement and prayerfulness as we think about these things. Do help us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Even what I've wrote, what, even what I've wrote, even what I've written on the screen is a lot, and I don't think we'll be able to cover all of that, but we will do what we can this evening. What is preaching? I looked it up in, on the internet, so this must be true. In the free dictionary, the second meaning is to give religious or moral instruction, especially in a tedious manner which is quite encouraging isn't it yeah yeah that's what it says to give moral righteous uh, religious or moral instruction especially in a tedious manner that's what they think i'm not sure whether that's what comes to people's mind when you say preach or preachy i think it's more so i've made this this one up to rant shout or urge in a fanatical or unreasonable manner I think if, people, if you say preach, that's what people, uh, that's their, their sort of worst nightmare of preaching, that somebody is gonna be standing up in front of them. A little bit of what, what, what you thought of miracle evangelism, and somebody's going, you know, that sort of thing. Probably won't come out very well on the tape, will it? But, but, but people are uh, thinking, yeah, I don't really like that idea. I uh, don't really like preaching. There's all sorts of... Something, yeah, okay, right. Uh, there's all sorts of cultural issues about preaching. So uh, the, the Welsh tradition of preaching would be very much affected by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a Welsh preacher from the 30s through into the... 70s uh, and he had a particular take on preaching and a particular style of preaching which um, many people would still think of now as being essential he wrote a book preaching and preachers the interesting thing about dr martin lloyd jones is that the the bits that people often take from him are the bits that you can't actually find in the Bible. That's a very dangerous thing for me to say, isn't it? I remember in his first, uh, the first volume of his biography, he says, he says, I would sooner trust a man who takes a bath once a week than a man who takes a bath once a day. And, and you, you just wonder whether, no, no, I won't even go down that road. So what we want to know is what it says in the Bible about preaching. And the nearest I'm gonna to get to it this, this evening is to look at some of the vocabulary and give some examples of how it's used. In the New Testament, there are a number of words and ideas that actually link up on this subject of preaching. So let's, let's just do them. 
Now, you're, you're brave people. You're not going to be put off if I put up foreign words on the screen. I'll explain them, so don't, don't get panicked. So the first word that I'm going to say is uh, evangelizo, which means to bring good news. It's a Greek word, evangelizo, to mean uh, to bring good news. It's made up of the two bits, the ev bit at the beginning, usually means good. So if you have uh, an, evlog an evlogia or a eulogy, so the EU bit is a good word. So at a, a funeral you have a eulogy which is the U bit is good and the L-O-G bit is word, a good word about the deceased and this is an ev angelizo, the angelizo bit is like angel and an angel is a messenger so this is to bring a good message, to bring good news and there's a word that goes with it evangelion which is the news that you bring so let's look at some examples of bringing good news uh, and that's what we'll do Matthew chapter 11 these are almost at random there's uh, 53 times this word is used so rather than look at all of them I'm just selected a few of them so Matthew 11 verse 5 <clears throat> this is Jesus reporting on what is happening in and around him so Matthew chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 could Mark please read that out to us Lovely, thank you very much. So he says there, and I wish I'd brought my Greek so I could tell you exactly what it says, but I haven't. Uh, the poor are evangelized. The poor are evangelio, evangelizo. They're brought, good news is brought to the poor. And interestingly, he's quoting from the Old Testament, and we'll do, go back into the Old Testament a little bit, but that's an example of Okay, in English, it's made into four or five words, isn't it? Good news is preached. In the original, it would just say, they are good newsed. Good news is brought. I suppose in English, you have to use a few extra words for it. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10, for another example of good news being brought. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 one word in Greek, several words in English to bring good news. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Um, is Catherine up to speed enough to read this to us? Well, let's, let's, let's ask Lindsay while you're, while you're doing. Lindsay, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Thank you. So he evangelizo, I bring good news. And Luke 4 verse 18. Luke 4 verse 18. This is Jesus 
giving his own understanding of what is going on again in and around his ministry as he does what he does, what's happening. And he quotes from the Old Testament. We're in Luke 4, 17 to 19. Luke 4, 17 to 19. If you would, Catherine, could you? Thank you very much indeed. So again, what I'm uh, proposing is that, well, I'm saying that Jesus is saying this is what he's about. And we notice that the idea of preaching is in there. And I'm also saying that let's not include any ideas of being Welsh or any other culture in the preach bit because it's several words for one thing to bring good news he has anointed me to bring good news one word in Greek to the poor and I want you to notice that there's some other similar words there which we'll look at in a moment but you notice do you notice another word like preach proclaim thank you and it's there twice actually isn't it to proclaim freedom and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and I hold on to that word proclaim we'll come back to it in due course let's include some references to the t- to, to when it's not than the the verb to bring good news but the noun this is the good news it's usually good news of something so Mark chapter 1 verse 1 is the Evangelion the good news of something let's see what it is uh, Mark 1 verse 1 Maria could you, you uh, could you read that please Yeah, that will do, that's fine. No, that's interesting. So you've got which version? There's something else, yeah. The ESV, yes. <laughs> okay, it, it's something on Maria's Kindle. So, so interestingly, what it says is, so she said the beginning of the good news NIV we have gospel uh, so I can I, I can clarify that this word gospel is simply a way of translating good news gospel sounds a bit technically Christian but it isn't really it just means good news so if you'd won the pools not that any of you are likely to have done so for a number of reasons but uh, and you get the letter which says you've just won a million pounds as good news it would be that you could translate that as gospel so I opened the letter and I had this good news of uh, whatever it was so the good news of Jesus 
Christ the Son of God. So it's good news of something. And Mark 1 verse 14. Mark 1 verse 14. Let's take Mark 1 14 and 15. Um, Adam, could you read that for us? Mark 1 14 and 15. Thank you. Okay, well, that time we've got gospel. NIV has good news. Interesting. I don't know why that should be the case. So the what is proclaimed, notice the word proclaim, which we'll come to in a moment. It is the good news of God. So it's the good news of something, good news of God. And then it is, oh, it just says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news so that second time it isn't the good news of anything particular but it is the good news which has just been described so we had there mark 1 14 and 15 and there is 77 uses of good news in the new testament and whatever i wrote 53 of of the verb to bring good news let's look at another word which is the word that we've seen as proclaim, keriso. The person who does the kerisoing is the kerix, and the thing that he announces is the kerigma. So what do these mean? Well, they mean this, to act as a herald, and the person who does it is a herald, and the thing that he says is the heralding or the message which is proclaimed. So here's another example. Let's suppose that you are an anxious father-to-be and your wife has been in labor and it's a few years ago when husbands weren't compelled to be with their wives when they were giving birth. So the husband is anxiously waiting around the corner and the nurse, the wife has given birth, wonderful baby is born, the nurse comes around the corner and she brings good news to the father. You know, it's a baby. You know, so, got to be sexist now, haven't I? So, so it's a baby boy. So here's the good news. So uh, this nurse is acting as a herald. She is Heralding, She is proclaiming this. She might not do it in a loud voice, but that's the, what she's doing. She's traversing a, a distance and bringing good news. She is kerisoing. Uh, uh, she is, in effect, a kerix. And the kerigma, the message that she brings, you are the father of a lovely baby boy. Okay, so there's, uh, there's a, a heralding of something that has taken place. So let's have a look at uh, the references to this. Mark 4.23. Mark 4. That can't be right. I wonder if... No, it's Matthew 4.23. Now again, I wish I'd brought my Greek because it would help, wouldn't it? But I haven't... So Matthew 4:23, and I'll tell you what I think it's saying. Uh, so Rachel, please could you read us Matthew 4:23? 
Thank you. So notice there's another word being brought in here, teaching, which we'll come to in a moment. But I think what's being said is here he's preaching, he's carisoing, uh, and what he's carisoing is the an evangelion, the, the good news, he's proclaiming the good news, and what is the good news of? It's the good news of the kingdom. So there's an example of that, and Matthew 24:14. Matthew 24:14 Matthew 24:14 Brenda please could you read that for us Thank you very much uh, This is Jesus giving a view of what will happen between the time of his death and resurrection really to the end of the world and he says this is what's going to happen the gospel the good news of the kingdom will be preached will be heralded in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come it's interesting what he says isn't it this good news will be heralded transmitted proclaimed in the whole world that was 24:14 let's look at mark 16 mark 16 verse 15 Mark 16 verse 15 and could we have verse 20 as well so this is Steve please could we have Mark 16 15 and 20 Thank you very much. So that's the word preach twice there. Go into all the world and preach, herald the good news to all creation. And that's what the disciples did. They went out and heralded everywhere. Thank you. Let's look at Romans 2 verse 21. So this is the same word herald and I'm interested to see that the meaning does not seem to fit exactly with the idea of the news of an event conveyed to somebody who doesn't know it because uh, this is the word kiriso. So I think this is probably stretching the meaning right to the <coughs> far end of what it's capable of. But Romans 2 verse... Um, yeah, let's just have verse 21. Uh, Roger, could you read that? You, 
Okay, that's it. In, uh, interesting. He's, he's using this word "kereso" to um, to act as a herald, but in this case, he's he, he's using it in a sense of an ethical instruction. So presumably, heralding can be stretched far enough to include that idea, and he links it with teaching, doesn't he? You teach others, do you not teach yourself? You preach against stealing, you steal, and then it uses the word to say, you say people should not commit adultery. So I think what's in my mind is that words have a meaning that you can stretch and I think this is the far end of stretching the word preach because it, does, it seems to mean just assert something. And you notice that along with it is teach. And I think the teaching that he's referring to, which again we'll come to in a moment, is not simply imparting information. It's like the urging of what you do when you talk about stealing. You teach people certain things, you preach against stealing, you say people should not commit adultery. So I think he's talking about a form of communication with some force to it, something that's commanding and urging and looking for a response. Where, where was I? That was Romans 2.21. So let's go back to a more mainstream use of the word in Romans 10, 14 and 15. Romans 10, 14 and 15, which is what we read earlier. Aaron, could you do that one for us? Romans 10, 14 and 15. Thank you very much. So you've got a little bit more in your translation than we had, but we've got the same sort of cluster of words here. So he's saying, how can people be converted to Jesus Christ? How can they call on the Lord? How can they have faith? Well, they can't unless somebody goes and speaks to them. How can they hear without a preacher? So I'm wondering whether that's a kerix. And how can they preach, how can they keriso unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see those sort of all those words linking up together there. Uh, the idea of somebody being sent to tell them the good news and thus they can believe. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 11. I think we're still on the proclaiming, heralding word. 1 Corinthians 15, 11. Yes, we are. 1 Corinthians 15, 11. Angela, are you up for this one? 
Thank you very much. That's to do with the 1 Corinthians 15 bit, which I think we'll come back to in a moment, but it's saying this is the content of the Christian message, and what do we do with it? We herald it, we preach it. So let's look now at the, the same set of words in, now in connection with the kerygma, the thing that is preached. There are only eight uses of this. Let's have a look at some of them. One, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six of them there. Luke 11, verse 32. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, this is the kerygma. This is the message. Interesting here. So Luke 11:32. Mark, can we come back to you, please? Thank you very much. So apparently, uh, Jonah proclaimed stuff, and whatever it was he proclaimed is his preaching, his kerygma, his preached message, and when they heard it, they repented. Thank you. Romans 16.25. Romans 16.25. Yes, this is again the kerygma I think we need 25 to 27 so Catherine could you do Romans 16 25 to 27 fascinating statement isn't it he links the proclamation the kerygma the preached message of Jesus Christ with a revelation of a mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and I think in his his use of the preaching idea is quite far from saying how somebody stands up and waves their arms about in a pulpit. He's, he's much more talking about the way the gospel spreads, which I think is quite a wide idea. Uh, so we noticed, did we not, that yeah, gospel is in there and the, the heralded message as God commands. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. This is the kerygma let's just see 118 and I'm struggling to see how that fits with what I looked up when I looked this up yes yeah so let's assume and I'm not quite sure about this whether it's the message that is the the bit that is the kerygma 
because it's not the same as when I looked it up, I have to say. Well, let's, let's read it then. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21. Um, where have we got to? Um, Lindsay, could you do that for us? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21. The foolishness of the message preached, so let's assume it's the, the kerygma of the cross and the foolishness of the kerygma, is not saying that God insists that people stand in a pulpit and wave their arms in a certain way. He's saying it is a certain message this, uh, that God uses to save people. It's the message which is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. It pleased God through the foolishness of what was preached. It's the foolishness of this message of a dead Jew on a cross. He said that's the message that seems so pointless and impotent and disgraceful and disgusting. It's that message that God uses to bring salvation into the world and the Corinthians were sort of looking down their noses at it and looking for something a bit more sophisticated, you know, a little bit more um, BBC2 sort of type of message. Uh, and he said, no, this is what we've got. This is what God sent and this is actually the wisest, most sophisticated, most wonderful message that you'll ever find, uh, the message of Christ crucified. So let's do 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, which again is the kerygma, uh, the message. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, perhaps, Maria. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to assume that what this says is my word and my kerygma, my message and my preaching were not quite subtle what he's saying. I, I, I didn't camouflage it or wrap it up in any way that, that took away the main point that this message is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. I made that the plain and simple bit that everybody's attention was focused on. So I didn't come to you and wrap it up with lots of wise and persuasive words and made you focus on, on the way I did it, but rather on what I was talking about. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And it's when it, Christ is most clearly portrayed. That's what he says in verse two. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, when Christ is portrayed and him on his cross, 
that is when the Spirit's power is most at work. Uh, that's a powerful point, isn't it? The Spirit's work is most evident when Christ is portrayed as he is crucified on the cross and it's that message which is the powerful one and when that is heard and when that is proclaimed your faith is resting not on men's wisdom but on God's power I think that's what he's, he's saying 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 I got a bit carried away then uh, so 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 is the same thing about kerygma and it simply says if Christ has not been raised our kerygma our message is useless and so is your faith so it's a message about Jesus Christ and him crucified at the but the crucified saviour is the, is the resurrected saviour. Um, so that was the second of those words, uh, to bring good news, to herald, and as you see, they're not, awfully, they're not awfully different, they're linked up together. Another word that's used is to teach, didasco, which is used 97 times, and the, the, that's to teach. The teaching is the didascalia, the thing that is taught. I can't, uh, yeah, the only, the, the, from which we get the English word didactic, I would imagine. Didactic is something of a teaching nature. So I think that the teaching that he has in mind usually has the connotation that it is authoritative so it isn't merely conveying statistics or conveying information, or that's a very valuable thing to do, but in, when this word is used, and you can see whether this makes sense or not, it usually has the, the implication of a bit of punch to it. Uh, and this may or may not be true, whether it's he has in mind something that's done in a public way, but we'll see, see what you think about these references. So here we go, Matthew 4.23. This is now looking at the use of the word teaching. Matthew 4.23, is it awfully different from preaching? Matthew 4.23, I've completely forgotten where we've got to. Um, is it Adam, uh, please, Matthew 4.23. Thank you. So you notice that the teaching and the preaching are linked. What did Jesus do? Well, he taught in the synagogue and he, ha I suppose it's almost saying, what did he teach? Well, he teach the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. So both of them are linked there. Matthew 15, verse 9. Matthew 15, verse 9. This is... I think this is the didascalia, the, the taught stuff. Matthew 15, let's take eight and nine, Rachel. Ah, teaching as doctrine. 
the commandments of men. The bit that's translated doctrine would be the teaching material. In English, doctrine, particularly in Christian talk, brings to mind uh, what has historically been developed over the last 2,000 years in terms of, you, you might say, Protestant doctrine or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or something like that. It does, that's not how what we should understand every time that word crops up in the New Testament. It simply means taught material. So teaching or their taught material are but rules taught by men. Uh, where did we get to? That was Matthew 15, verse 9. 1 Timothy 2, 12. So this is Didasco. 1 Timothy 2, 12. One Timothy two twelve. Brenda, could you read that for us, please? Thank you very much. Now that's a, probably a controversial one, isn't it? But uh, it, it is. I think this is didasco, the verb. Uh, I do not. This is Paul talking about the way things operate in the assembly. And he's saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Uh, she must be quiet, the opposite of, of, of this um, teaching. And that's why I say that I think the teaching that he's referring to is not merely um, giving information, but it's the, the sort of teaching that you could link with preaching as having some sort of punch to it and perhaps being something in public where everybody is sitting quietly listening to one person. Anyway, I included that because it's only fair to do so even though it's a, a controversial point. Uh, now then, I've got 28.20 which I think is Matthew 28.20. So I think we need a Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And bearing in mind that we've already looked at a reference like this, which I think was the proclaiming word, but here is the teaching word. So I think it's Steve, isn't it? Matthew 28, what do we say, 18 to 20. Thank you very much. Uh, whereas the previously, it's in the other version, it said, "Go and um, preach," didn't it? Preach the gospel to every creature. That was the end of Mark. Here it says, "Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them." So that in this case, the teaching is linked with the disciple-making activity. 
and let's look at Acts 5.42. Yeah, I'll read that. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So again, I'm linking together there that teaching and proclaiming the good news aren't two vastly different activities. They are uh, uh, certainly linked. Now we come to the didascalia, the taught material, which uh, there's a lot about that in 1 Timothy. If you'd like to turn to 1 Timothy, of the 21 references to didascalia, eight of them, are in 1 Timothy. So we'll just touch upon those and then I think we'll move on. So in 1 Timothy, he taught, uh, it says, didascalia, the, the taught material. So in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, he talks about behavior which is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Sound meaning healthy and the word doctrine, if that's what you've got in your translation, is the didascalia, their healthy teaching that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And he uses that idea of taught material in chapter four, verse one, the, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and the didascalia of demons, the teaching material or the doctrine of demons. And in verse 6, he says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching the didascalia, the taught material that you have followed and various other references to that which I will just leave because I don't think they add anything very much to it. One word that we haven't looked at is ambassador but I think we've given a, a sort of overview of the idea of preaching as it is in the New Testament to bring good news, to act as a herald to do so in an informative and urging sort of way to teach. And I'll leave you with uh, a little picture. So our summer was saying this morning, you haven't done any stick men for a little while, which I thought probably that's true. So we've got some stick men, not, not necessarily because our summer said there weren't any, but because it fits this. This is Isaiah 52 verse seven. Isaiah 52 verse 7 which has been as it were lurking at the background of quite a number of these um, these texts Isaiah 52 verse 7 about the beautiful feet how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good news who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. 
when the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem, and so on. Let's try and put that into a little picture. Isaiah 52, 7, a great victory has been won. In the distant battlefield, the Lord's cause has been upheld and God has won. The Lord reigns. The battle has been won and what remains is to send a herald. So off the herald goes, running over hill and dale, across the desert and across the mountain, Notice the important part of this herald, apart from his mouth, which doesn't yet come into operation, are, is his feet. And he has beautiful feet because he traverses this distance with this news. A little bit like the nurse bringing the, the message uh, uh, through to the waiting father. He even gets to the mountain overlooking Jerusalem and he's able to shout out to the people waiting on the city walls, victory! your God reigns and there in the city of Jerusalem there's great joy how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good news and proclaim salvation who say to Zion your God reigns the watchmen lift up their voices together they shout for joy and I'd like us to have that picture and then translate it into the New Testament the victory has been won on the cross. That's where the reign of God was established, if you like, where his enemies were defeated and he wins the victory there. And the heralds have been going out for 2,000 miles, sorry, 2,000 years and thousands of miles to this place here. Anybody like to suggest what, which place I've, I've drawn there? Rome? Colosseum could be any other suggestions Jerusalem could be I feel a little disappointed that my, my artwork doesn't hasn't quite uh, it could be uh, it could be I, I was actually trying to draw the co-op um, <laughs> you can see from the trees the trees are definitely the ones by the co-op and uh, the the herald who's standing in, in front of the co-op in London Road. That's a picture of Ben. I told him I would do a picture of him. I don't know whether he's still listening, but uh, that's Ben. And he's saying to somebody, the news, Jesus Christ has won the victory. Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and death and Satan, and he's won that victory, and I've come all this way to meet you and to tell you this good news. And uh, how beautiful on the mountains or how beautiful on London Road or how beautiful on University of Brighton campus or how beautiful on the University of Sussex campus or how beautiful in your workplace are the feet of anybody who goes that distance and tells people that good news uh, because that's the great thing and this is the good news that was brought to you says Peter uh, good news that Isaiah referred to this is the word which says all flesh is as grass, but God wins his victory. And this is the word that was preached to you. And I've uh, that's the picture I'd like to leave, leave with us.
Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in our day, that just as Paul and his companions were so, um, they made it their consuming work and their heart's desire and their labor of love and their prayer that men and women and boys and girls should hear the good news about Jesus Christ, that this should be heralded to them. And how could they be saved unless they hear this? And how can they hear unless somebody goes and tells them? And uh, we pray, Lord, that in this day and generation that good news might be taught and preached and passed on and people informed uh, so that they might believe. And we thank you that we've been able to look at this even in a, a relatively sketchy way, but it's a great subject and it is a, our prayer that people would believe this good news and the good news would go out in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.